We're continuing our series in uh, a kingdom series, looking at uh, Isaiah 61. And I've just got it up here on the slide here. It's going to read it through the account of Isaiah 61. Have a listen to it again. I'm going to read it from the NIV Bible, uh, NIV version. Um, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In Luke 4, Jesus read out these verses from Isaiah 61 in the temple, which was a declaration by Jesus of what he was coming to achieve and what we as Christians can experience when the kingdom of God is amongst us. When the kingdom of God comes, stuff happens. Where we go, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon us. We pray for light to come into darkness, and people are healed, set free, and rescued. There's lots of kingdom activity in the first part of this, of this chapter. As, Paul, as, as Ben talked to us last week, there was a, there's also a natural atmosphere we should see and experience when the kingdom of God comes. Part of the atmosphere we should experience when the kingdom of God comes is peace and comfort and joy. It's like the aroma of fresh bread when it's baking. When the bread is cooking, there's a distinct smell. When I would buy Ruth flowers or she'd get some flowers, they look nice and you walk into the room and there's a distinct smell. have to be honest with you as a bloke, walk in and lilacs are there and it's like, what does that stink? But there's a distinct smell. To that, to that plant. Just the plant sitting there, it has a distinct smell. There's activity that happens when the kingdom of God comes. Stuff happens. But also, like these things of distinct smell, wherever we go, the Holy Spirit in us, there's a distinct aroma and atmosphere that comes as we, from the work of the Holy Spirit. Just being around believers, people should pick up peace, as Ben talked about. It's not necessarily any outward activity, but an inward work of the Spirit's power. But this passage also makes a declaration from God to mankind. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the Lord God, is upon me. The kingdom of God has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which Ben explained last week, part of that was peace. And he went on to say that peace is a weapon to overcome fear. He also declared to everyone, the the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to comfort those who mourn. It's a distinct aroma of the kingdom of God. It is heaven's response to the cry of mankind. Pain and grief have a powerful effect on the human heart. It requires more than just kind words. You can feel helpless and powerless trying to help someone in that, don't you? 
we feel and express sorrow and grief over loss. Sorrow is no respecter of persons. It's the hard expression of, any, of, of a man or woman, child or parent, old or young. Obviously, the biggest sorrow comes over the loss of a loved one through death. But we can also sorrow and grieve over the breaking down of a relationship or the loss of a friendship. We moved to England. I'm originally from Canada. and We, we moved to England 12 years ago. And I was in a new country with 4,000 miles between myself and my friends by a lot of water. And I was sitting there surrounded by a whole bunch of people. But I was grieving the loss of significant friends. I felt like a tree in shock that had been uprooted. We can grieve over the loss of a job. Or when our kids get married. Or, or when all of our kids move on and move out. There's a loss of that close proximity at home. Now, I don't want to make light of this very significant expression of emotion and pain. Yet sometimes we may not fully be aware that our hearts are reacting to some loss in our lives. In that moment of pain, we can all face all kinds of questions. Questions like why? As we're looking for answers and explanations. Philip Yancey asked the question in the title of one of his books, where is God when it hurts? One of the things that Yancey discovered was that many people, for many people, what causes them to get stuck in sorrow after a traumatic event is the demand for an answer to the question, why? Trying to deal with sorrow and grief, we go searching for answers. One simple question we might ask is, why is there grief? I guess we could respond to that question by saying, we grieve because we love. God created us to the ability to give and receive great love from him and from those around us. We were created to love and be loved. It's in that loss of the one that we dearly love that our heart grieves. We hear some describe it as a void in their heart. Now I'm so mindful this morning of not simply giving opinions of grief when there are those here in the room that have lived in it or currently experiencing it at present. But there was an author named N.W. Clerk and he wrote a very candid book called A Grief Observed following the death of his wife. He had, no, he had not experienced such love before he had met this woman. But now, in writing in, his, in her death, he says, For the greater the love, the greater the grief. And in great honesty of heart, he goes on to voice his grief. He says, When you're happy, so happy, you have no sense of needing him, of needing God, that is. So happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will, or so it feels, be welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you feel? A door slam in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. N.W. Clerk was experiencing this great sorrow and grief 
and heaven seemed silent. This was such a raw, honest expression of grief that Clerk wrote about that he hid his real name as author to distance himself from his other writings. His name was C.S. Lewis. This is the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where he described Aslan, the lion. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Is he safe? Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. This obviously being a picture, C.S. Lewis using of Christ. You see, Lewis had written another book 20 years earlier than this one on grief, expressing his thoughts and opinions with the title, The Problem with Pain. And he makes some opinions that say, I've seen great beauty of spirit in some who were great sufferers. Pain provided an opportunity for heroism. The opportunity is seized with surprising frequency. The point I want to make here is that C.S. Lewis wrote about a lot of things, but this time, following the death of his wife, he was living what he was writing. Grief is not something you simply have an opinion about. C.S. Lewis said this, I need Christ, not something that resembles him. For C.S. Lewis, he realized that he needed something bigger than himself to break into his dark night of the soul. Bigger than all the questions, bigger than all the pain. Like Philip Yancey's question, where is God when it hurts? Ultimately, the question comes to us, does God care? The fact that God declares that one of his outworkings of the Holy Spirit, the reason he was sent, Christ, is comfort to those who mourn. And this is a statement not only of the kingdom's power, but of his love. This is so wonderfully expressed in a passage in 2 Corinthians 1. It says there in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all, everybody say all, our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who in any, say any, those in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is packed with comfort. Comfort is mentioned five times in these two verses. This is a declaration of God's heart to comfort. He is the God of all comfort, of all our afflictions. With this, we can see that there's no limit to his comfort. It's not like one of those insurance policies that there's conditions about things that aren't covered in that policy. Oh, sorry, that particular affliction is not covered by God's comfort. Like the universe and all the stars, there's no black hole in the universe of God's comfort. Comfort without limits. This passage is all about God as much as it's all about comfort. We can all see how it all hangs upon God. He is the God of all comfort. He comforts us. We comfort others with the comfort He comforted us with. The source of all comfort is God. We're all left, we are not left to ourselves to produce comfort. 
That's why we feel helpless and powerless to help ourselves. Because it's His comfort we are comforted with. Like there is divine peace that we can also pray for divine comfort by the Holy Spirit. He is the God of all comfort. But how do we know this? With such power of of pain and grief, we might need more evidence, more proof that God really truly loves us and demonstrates His comfort. Where else can we see this in the Bible? Well, we can obviously look at Jesus. The Bible tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. And in John 11, Lazarus is, Lazarus is ill. And a distress call goes out to Jesus from Mary and Martha. These were two that were known by Jesus. They were friends of Jesus. These weren't just a stranger contacting somebody to come and help. Like the distress call of Batman in the sky. This was ones that knew Jesus and was friends. But for various reasons, Jesus is delayed and arrives four days too late to heal. But in John 11, verse 17, we pick up the story that says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. I picked up on that word console. It seemed a little bit different than a word comfort. And actually it means to cheer someone up by soothing speech. Their friends were there trying to offer words of comfort, but it would seem also they were trying to explain why Jesus didn't answer. In our great intentions, people can give more confusion in their words than comfort from their hearts. But in verse 32, it goes on to say that now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. There's those why questions. How come? This could have been a moment when Jesus could have performed a miracle and healed Lazarus when he was ill. If Jesus had just come in when Lazarus was still ill, he would still be alive. Why did he do that? This wasn't simply a moment of kingdom power, like a da-da-da-da kind of superhero kind of moment where he swoops in, takes care of Lazarus, and swoops out. It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And he said, Lord, come and see. And it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible for your pub quiz knowledge. But there was no additional descriptive words here. Two words. Two incredibly moving words. Jesus seeing the weeping of Mary and those weeping with her, wept with them. Jesus, the the image of the invisible God of all comfort, wept. He was the image, the face of the God of all comfort, and that face was full of tears. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus was weeping in such a way 
that when they saw his love for Lazarus, that they saw his love for Lazarus, he shared their loss. And in verse 37, but some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? We see here even man's attempt to understand, yet the response was comfort from Jesus. There might be questions stirring in our heart, though, as we listen to this story. You might say, but Lazarus was raised from the dead. Mary and her sister got him back. Their grief would be short-lived. But we have the perspective of seeing the whole story together. But at that moment, there was deep sorrow and tears, and Jesus was weeping with them. They would later see Lazarus. But we have this assurance as believers. We will one day see our loved ones again. But in the now, when we mourn, we need comfort. And God, of all comfort, weeps with us. Our time on earth is short. And he gives us an eternal perspective that we'll be in heaven for eternity. And this time is just short on this earth. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Some of you newer to the church here may not have known this, but nine years ago, Phil and Heather Stoddart, members of the church here at LCC, had two daughters killed in a car crash. Many of the girls' friends and friends of the family here would have been affected by that event. I had a chat with Phil this week and asked him how God comforted them in that tragic moment. He shared that shortly after the accident, while they were gathering at their home with friends and family, and friends from the, from the school the girls attended, he was in the back garden, and he collapsed under it all, and he recalls, I had this sense of a huge, shining, angelic-like being in whom I saw Jesus. There were qualities that pointed me towards Jesus. He was like a fierce warrior come to do battle as well as someone who had deeply hurt. And I was struck with the fact that Jesus was crying with me. My sorrow was his sorrow. There was a sharing of sorrow that Jesus felt ever much as I did. I couldn't blame him like someone that shakes a fist. Like me, he was deeply pained. A fellow sufferer with me. Ever much touched with the pain I was feeling. This passage in 2 Corinthians 1 is a great message of hope for us in our sorrow. But it's also a message encouraging and empowering us that God gives us the ability to comfort others on his behalf. We become the face of the invisible God of all comfort. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those are in, who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Phil went on to say that before this happened, he didn't have any real sense of how people were hurting. He never fully appreciated their suffering. Now he feels very, very physical and emotional compassion when someone else is suffering. He feels that through this, something was imparted from the comfort he felt from Jesus that has become a part of him of, of empathy that feels suffering deeply. 
Phil later wrote a book about the event entitled A12 to Heaven. And here are a couple of things that he said from his book. The suffering of a Christian is also able to produce something good. If through our pain we can testify to the goodness of God and his ability to help us in our suffering, then those who do not know God can plainly see we have something more than mere words. And there are familiar sayings among, there's a familiar saying among Christians that there's a hole in our heart that is God-shaped and therefore can only be filled by him. I sort of understood it when I heard it, but now that now has become one of the most profound statements of all. If you haven't had a chance to read that book and you'd like to, we've got some copies here today, the four pounds, and you can give an IOU if you'd like to for that, but they're available afterwards if you'd like to read that a little bit more. But thank you, Phil, for that, for that story. So we read in Isaiah 61 that Jesus came to the earth to proclaim a kingdom not only of power over darkness, but supernatural comfort for the dark night of our soul. You see, Jesus, his very name was Emmanuel, God with us. The Son of God, when he walked on this earth, was limited to be in one place or another. Mary and Martha waited for Jesus because he wasn't there. But Jesus not only had compassion for those affected by death, but through his death and resurrection, his greatest demonstration of love is that he laid down his life and defeated death on the cross that we might have eternal life with God. It was the greatest response from heaven to our sorrow and grief. Isaiah 53 verse 3 explains it this way. He, being Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, explaining what would happen after his death, he said in John 14, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He says in verse, chapter 15 of John, uh, John 15, The Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father and through the Holy Spirit. You see, now as believers, Christ in us, through the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, no longer is limited in his location. So God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. After he's done all this, he declared to his disciples what we call the Great Commission. Things like make disciples, baptize, all the activities of the kingdom. But he finished with this, and behold, I am with you always. And that is the promise that we have of his being with us in whatever we're going through. So for today, what this means is our, in our deepest sorrow and grief, God is the God of all comfort who comforts us. It also says in 2 Thessalonians 2, May now our Lord Jesus himself and God our Father, who loves us and gives us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. And this last part is going to lift from the Amplified Bible. Comfort and encourage and strengthen your hearts, keeping them steadfast and on course in every good work and word. 
In the void of lost love, he loves us with an everlasting love. In the helplessness, he, in the hopelessness, he gives us hope. Not only that, but in Isaiah 61, he also goes on to tell us about this great exchange that he offers to those that mourn. He says he provides to those who grieve in Zion, which is a, a label of his church, his people, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God is saying, let me not only weep tears with your tears and share in your sorrow, but give you a crown of beauty and take away the ashes, all the grayness of your eyes and heart. Give you the oil of joy that will, fill all, that will flow all over your life and displace your mourning. And give you a garment of praise like an electric blanket. Let me wrap you all up and cover you from the despair of all the questions of your heart so that your heart will stir again to praise and worship. C.S. Lewis said, I thought I could describe a state. I thought I could make a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out not to be a state, a place to live, but a process. Mourning is not intended to be a place that we stay, but a journey through. And there's this wonderful picture in, in Psalm 84 that says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And we sang about that this morning. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a, spring, a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The valley of Baca was a very dry place, and there was a particular plant in that, in that valley. that It was so dry, but this particular plant, it would, it would, it would give out these little drops of water like tears. And so sometimes people will consider this valley of Baca to consider to be like a valley of tears, where all that seems to be there is tears. But the promise of this is that blessed are those whose strength is in God because they go through the valley of tears. They don't just live there. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And the last part of Isaiah 61 is a great promise of hope. They will be called oaks of righteousness. That's a real picture of strength a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. That God puts strength and comfort in our lives to be a display of His comfort and love to others. He comforts us in our sorrows and brings us from brokenness to strength, from strength to strength. Every day, more comfort, more strength. God does it in such a way, though, that he gives us even more comfort that we could be a comfort to others. It doesn't stop. It's almost like comfort doesn't end up in a pool, but actually ends up in a river from us. And 2 Corinthians 1.4, the last part of it, that he comforts us so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The message of hope this morning is that we are carriers of comfort, God's comfort, that we don't need to shrink back when someone is hurting 
as we're trying to look for words or answers or explanations. Comfort is a natural aroma of the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God is expressed through us, God gives a supernatural compassion to weep with those who are weeping, but the power to pray for strength to help those through the valley of tears. We can speak of hope into, our, into their hopeless state. It also fit, says, with the comfort that we have received. This also speaks of the power and the encouragement of our story, like Phil shared this morning. Simply sharing our story of God's help and comfort to us is part of God's comfort to others. And you know, for those of you that might be thinking in this message, I haven't experienced that grief, that loss. So how can I comfort others? We don't produce any comfort or compassion of any substance ourselves. Yet the God of all comfort lives in us by the Holy Spirit. And he's looking and longing to comfort others through us. You see, the kingdom of God is very personal. He comforts us. But the kingdom of God is also relational, that he's able, that we're able to comfort others. So as we looked at all these sort of things, how do we respond to these passages of encouragement? First of all, we can open our hearts to receive his comfort. He comforts us. Secondly, we can give our hearts to comfort others. Remember that they said, silver and gold have I not, when they're talking about the man that, was, that couldn't walk, the lame man. But what I have, I give. In those moments, we could say, I, I don't have answers. I don't know the right words to say. But what I have is the Holy Spirit in me, that I can pray for God's comfort. So we open our hearts to receive. We give our hearts to comfort others. And we share our hearts in the stories of the comfort we've received ourselves. just want to ask the band to come up, if they could, please. When the world cries, where is God when it hurts? He's across the desk at work where you sit. He's over the fence to our neighbor where you stand. And God's answer to those who mourn is comfort from Him. He gives us comfort in abundance that we might comfort others. If we keep asking for more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we find ourselves with greater compassion for those who are hurting. We can take God's light and comfort those in the dark night of the soul. We can pray for strength to help them through the valley of tears. The simple truth of this message today is that He has anointed me, speaking of us, He has anointed me to comfort those who mourn because He is the God of all comfort. And there's a great picture of the church in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout Judea and, and Galilee and Samaria had peace, like Ben talked about last week, and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. 
And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The advancing of the kingdom that carries an atmosphere of peace and comfort into a world of pain. God not only wants to comfort us in our pain, but that we would be carriers of his comfort into a world of pain. And we walk that out simply day by day. We're going to sing a song that talks about come to the fountain, all who are weary, all who are weak. And it's just, it's an invitation to come to Christ in our, in our need for comfort. But it also is a cry that says, come Lord Jesus, come. And I, I know we've touched on a number of things this morning that may have really significantly touched your heart. But I want to declare this morning that he is the God of all comfort. And I want to just have us just reach out to him this morning and then I'll have us pray. So let's reach out to him this morning and just talk to him. Sometimes there's a simple scripture that goes like this. It says, my son or my daughter, give me your heart. And that's sometimes all we can do is just say, God, here's my heart. In all its hurt, all its pain, I can't do anything more with it. I just give it to you now. So will, will you stand with me if you're able to? And let's just let these song, let the words of this song just wash over our hearts. Just receive from him. If you don't even know how to speak or sing right now, just lift your hands to him and just receive. I believe the God of comfort is here to minister to us.